We started a series last week, a new series on this guy, Timothy. Timothy is a young man mentioned in the Bible. If you know the Bible, if you've been around the Bible, around the church, no doubt you've heard his name. Very popular name. He gets almost as much press, if you will, across the Bible as anybody else. Twelve books he's mentioned in. And that's mainly because he's partnered up with the Apostle Paul. You remember the Apostle Paul tapped him on the shoulder. We'll look at that briefly here as we recap last week. And said, travel with me and be, be on my team. And so Timothy is with Paul in a lot of the books Paul writes. So when Paul writes a book, he would include everybody that's with him on the team in that location and address that letter from him and the team to the particular group of believers wherever he's writing. And a driving, the driving question that I want you to get in your, your brain, your psyche, for this series <clears throat> is this question. And this is an important question. It ought to be our question. If you're already a believer, and even if you're not, this is an important question. And this question cuts right to the chase of what, what are you doing with your life? What, what agenda are you pursuing? Whose plan are you after? And that doesn't, this doesn't mean, this question doesn't mean you can't do what God has gifted you to do, what God, uh, you know, really swells your heart up to do. It doesn't mean that you can't have fun, you can't enjoy your life and do all sorts of things. In fact, I would say this will enhance your life if on your journey and for your journey, you would ask this question. I would like you to read it with me today, okay? Let's read it out loud because I want you to kind of hear yourself ask this question. And you, maybe you're reading it today, but perhaps this week or later in the series or next year, you'll get to the point in your life where this is your burning question. Because you don't want to waste your life, do you? You don't want to just throw your life away and chase your own desires. Make this your question. Pray that God would give this question to you, but for now, read it with me. How can I become more useful to the Lord in the work of His kingdom? How can I? Whatever you're doing right now, at whatever level it is, how can I become more useful to the Lord in the work of His kingdom? Because I want to tell you something. God has something for you to do. There are a lot of Christians doing nothing, but there are no Christians who have nothing to do. Do you catch that? We all have something to do. So Timothy kind of, for us, Timothy embodies this question. Last week we saw where Paul had what, what I called, what we called an honest disagreement with another guy named Barnabas. You remember this? Paul and Barnabas went on this first missionary journey. It was a successful journey. They did a lot of great things. And they, they, they went through trials and tribulations, persecutions together. They had highs, they had lows, they became close. But they got to the point to where they had a, an issue. Paul said, let's go on another journey. And Barnabas said, okay, let's take John Mark. And I don't know if you remember, but we talked about John Mark, another young man like Timothy, who for some reason left the journey. He left the team. He, he deserted them, is what the word is. And so... Paul said, absolutely not. We can't take John Mark. He left us. Why would we think that we could have an unreliable member of the team? But John Mark was a cousin of Barnabas. And Barnabas was all about people. You know, he was the son of encouragement. He said, let's give him a second chance. For Barnabas, it was about the, the man, John Mark. For Paul, it was about the mission. 
taking the message to the gospel. No, nobody's wrong, nobody's right here. We can have both of these or either one of these. There's got to be some balance. It was an honest disagreement. They parted ways. You know, Christians will disagree sometimes. Amen? You ever disagree with your wife, fellas? <laughs> that was a trick question. <laughs> you shouldn't publicly anyway, <laughs> right? And, uh, uh, you know, there'd be an honest disagreement, but that doesn't mean we have to be disagreeable and ugly and, you know, cancel. So that disagreement, when they parted ways, Barnabas did take John Mark on a journey. We don't know anything about that because Luke didn't go with him. He went with Paul. And Paul took Silas. And when they went to Lystra on this journey, they met a young man named Timothy. And Paul said, man, you, you, are, you have a great reputation and you're a young man I could use on my team. This opened the door for Timothy. Sometimes the disagreements or the partings, the bad things, will open the door for the good things. That might be something you needed to hear today. It might be a bad thing going on in your life. You may be running away from something. You may be disagreeing with someone. You don't have to be mean about that or disagreeable. But it might be leading to something bigger and better for you. For Paul and Barnabas, it led to Timothy joining the team. Now, I've, I've listed on the outline uh, a way for you to read ahead and get to know, and it's at the QR code. So if you have the QR code, you can go to that sermon outline, and on the sermon outline, the second page, there's the reading, so you can read ahead. And the reading for this week, for this message, is Acts chapter 17 and 1 Thessalonians, the entire book. It's a very short book. You can read it easily in a, in a half hour, probably. If you need an hour, go ahead and take an hour. And, and these are the two places we're going to be at today. Acts 17 is the second half of the second missionary journey. The first missionary journey was Paul and Barnabas. They went to a lot of great places. That's Acts 13 and 14. Acts 15 is the great gathering in Jerusalem of the leaders where the Judaizers wanted to require certain things of people like circumcision in order to be saved. The end of Acts 15, there's a disagreement. Acts 16 is the second missionary journey. We're going to be in Acts 17 because the journey's already started, and the Apostle Paul has got his team together. And last week I compared this team to a special forces team. How many of you know the military has special forces, right? I deployed to Afghanistan with a special forces battalion, and they have teams. They're 12-men teams, and every man on the team has a job. Every man has a job. One of the men's a medic. It's his job to lead the way. They call him Doc. He's not a doctor, but he's the lead medic. But every special forces team I know calls him Doc. He's the Doc. And, and then there's somebody that's over technology. You know, he's the guy that, that uh, he, he's the communications guy. And then there's the commander, the team leader. And then, you know, everybody has a job. And every job has to be done. And if it's not done, the team's ineffective. It's not as good as it could be. Now, going back to this question, how can I be more useful to the Lord and the kingdom and His work? I want you to kind of think of, uh, of, of this campus and really of the entire church, as being like a special forces team. If you don't ask this question, then it, it probably means you're not doing what God has for you to do. You with me? So, got to ask the question for the church to be an effective uh, tool for the gospel today. So, 
This is the second missionary journey. It's already started. There's a lot of narrative activity in Acts chapter 16. It's an incredible chapter. There's highs, there's lows. uh, The Philippian jailer comes to Christ because Paul and Silas are praising God at midnight. You remember that? He came to Christ. He trusted Christ. They were baptized that very night. There's, uh, There's persecution. There's lots of things happening in Acts 16. You should read that sometime. And then we're in Acts 17, and we haven't even heard, other than Paul tapping Timothy on the shoulder, we haven't heard Timothy's name mentioned. So, I, you know, I believe he's going on there. I think Timothy's serving. I think he's serving. He's just doing his job. So here we are, Acts chapter 17. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue. This is the Jewish school or place where they gathered, the Jews. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. I don't know what a prominent woman is, but I think it's a woman of influence. Like Lydia. You know, they met Lydia in Acts chapter 16, a seller of purple, a businesswoman. She came to Christ. So Paul was a master in the Old Testament. You know, he says in Philippians, he's the Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. These guys knew the Bible. They knew the Old Testament. They knew what God said. They didn't often know what he meant, but they knew what he said, and they were able to connect the dots. And once Paul became a Christian, when the light turned on for him on the road to Damascus, and he spoke to Jesus, the risen, ascended Jesus, he came to the realization to connect the dots, Mark. He, he understood that the Old Testament was all about Jesus. It was all about Jesus. And, and that was an incredible leap of faith for, for Paul. A, a guy who used to hunt down Christians and put them in jail and persecute them and stand by while some are being stoned to death. It's a big leap of faith. So now Paul's a Christian. He's masterfully using the Old Testament to show that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. Recently, uh, uh, somebody, I don't know if Dave, if it was you or Luke or whoever, told me about this series called The Chosen. How many of you have seen The Chosen? You can get this series on your Bible app. You can get it on your Bible app. I bought it. Uh, You can get it free on your Bible app. I bought it on Amazon Prime and downloaded it so I could watch it. Some of us went to Colorado this week and watched it on the airplane. I got it all but the last episode watched. And this is one of the most uh, gripping, incredible series. I wouldn't say done by Hollywood, but done by someone, uh, Jenkins, Dallas Jenkins, that shows you how Jesus was the Messiah. And I want to tell you something, and this is just a plug for me. Every episode brought me to tears. Every episode brought me to tears. You should watch it. I don't know if that's your experience. Every episode brought me to tears because it was so gripping. Because you're in the first century and you're like, what would it have been like to live with this man? And it helps you understand how some completely missed it. Some completely missed it. When Paul preached the gospel, most people didn't miss it. 
He preached it so powerfully and masterfully using the Old Testament. And the Bible says a lot of people came to Christ. A lot of them. A lot of Jewish people. You know, that's who the gospel went to first was the Jews because that's where he preached in the synagogue. It was an easy audience. They were already there. They were already interested in the Old Testament. So Paul just took the next step. He said, oh, we're going to talk about the Old Testament. We're going to talk about the, how the Old Testament relates to Jesus. But not everybody believed. Other Jews were jealous, verse 5 says. So they rounded up some bad characters, some bad characters. Luke, you know what a bad character is? And these are guys you don't want to mess with. Bad characters from the marketplace formed a mob and started a riot in the city. Wow. I could stop there and talk about that. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. They were looking for Paul and Silas at this guy Jason's house. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have, come, have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. And they are all defying Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. And I'm sure they scraped them up pretty good first. These people sound a whole lot like the Jewish leaders who crucified Jesus, saying, oh, they're defying Caesar. They're saying there's another king. You know, that was their code word. That was their, their stir-up people word. They knew they could get the Romans on their side if they would say, here's a guy who's saying Caesar is nothing, that there's another king. They're saying that Jesus is king. And this guy, Jason, he's welcomed them into his house. Now, I love the way the King James puts this. You know, I cut my teeth on the King James. Anybody else cut their teeth on the King James? And when you cut your teeth on the King James, I mean, you're jagged-toothed after that. It's not easy to understand. It's not easy to understand, but I love the way the King James puts this verse here, uh, verse, uh, verse uh, 4. It says, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. I love that. You know, this was not meant to be a compliment. This was meant to be a derogatory statement of criticism that these guys have caused trouble everywhere, and now they're in our town, and we need to do something about it. I think it would be a compliment today for someone to say, someone to say, Tim, you are turning the world upside down for Jesus. Wouldn't you take that as a compliment? Absolutely. You're turning the world upside down for Jesus. That's a compliment today. You know, even the word Christian wasn't really uh, a compliment. It was, it was they were these little Christ, you know, they're following him. But today we wear the name proudly. We were, I wear the name Christian proudly. I would love for someone to say, you're turning the world upside down for Jesus. Amen to that? Amen. And so, this, this, is, this is the trouble. It's starting. It's starting. They're looking for Paul and Silas. They're going to drag them out, and they're going to put an end to this trouble by dealing with the, the ring leader, Paul. But Paul's not there. Only Jason's there. Poor Jason's like, no, he's not here. And they said, okay, we're going to beat you up. And so they drug this guy out into town, uh, out in the street, along with whoever's in his house, and they beat them up, and then they made him post bond and leave. So this is the story, this is what's happening. And so the Bible says, as soon as it was night, I don't know where Paul hid, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. So they got him out. They got him out of there, and they went down to Berea. Bible says in verse 11, now the Berean Jews were more, of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. 
Why? For they receive the message with great eagerness and examine the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. So Paul's preaching in Thessalonica, gets run out of town, has to leave under cover of darkness. He goes to Berea. The Bereans are saying, we're ready for you, Paul. We have a copy of the Old Testament here. We're going to make sure what you're telling us is true. And when they heard this message, they said, what, what you're saying is true. We, we believe. Man, this is, this is so good. This is so rich that these people were eager to hear what Paul was saying. Yeah, I don't know. It's just I've been in the ministry a long time. I've been here a long time, and it seems like it, it seems like we're not really doing the job that we ought to do of getting our people interested in searching the scripture. You know, when I was a kid, uh, even when I wasn't a kid, when I was an adult, my grandmother was an old Church of God lady, Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee. How many of you know that Church of God? Wore the hair up on top, you know, when she took it down, it was down here to her ankle bones. Never wore a pair of pants, never wore jewelry, and she was a godly woman, church of God lady. And she said something to me when I was a kid that I don't think she meant it as a, I don't think she meant it as a slam, I think it was a compliment. Uh, but I, I, I didn't go to her church. My mother took us. That was where my dad grew up. My mother took us to uh, th this tribe of church, Christian church. And so she told me one time, some question came up about the Bible. And I was just a little kid, maybe, maybe 13, 14 years old. And she looked at me and she said, well, your church is a, is a church of the book. What does it say? It kind of put me on the spot because I didn't know what it said, but I was supposed to because I was from this particular church. And now I, I kind of wear that as a badge of honor. That I was a part of a church that was known by other churches as people who were all about the Bible. God forbid someone accuse us of, oh, bringing up the Bible again. Just bring up the Bible. But wouldn't it be great to have that also as a criticism from the culture. You're always trying to bring up the Bible. I tell you, we need, to, we need to know what we believe, and we need to know why we believe it. Paul was so good at that. I'm afraid we're teaching kids today what we believe, but they're going out, and then they're just getting knocked off their horse. This is what we call apologetics, and we meet tonight, don't we, Luke? First Sunday of every month, Luke leads a group, an apologetics group, where we discuss why God makes sense? Why does God make sense today? Why is it more uh, uh, e was it easier today to believe in God than at any other time in the history of our world? And we talk about that every first Sunday of the month, and tonight's tonight. So Paul is preaching this stuff. He's preaching this, and the Bible says, now the Berean Jews were more noble character. Also, many of them believed. Verse 14, the believers immediately sent Paul to the coast. Oh, now let me read verse 13. Look at verse 13. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, these, these people are haters. They're still in Thessalonica, but they hear Paul's in the next town. Some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. Troublemakers. 
Verse 14, the believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea, and those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens, and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So, you kind of got the picture here. Paul gets run out of Thessalonica, he goes to uh, Berea, and goes to the same synagogue kind of thing, starts preaching, those people believe, but when the Thessalonians hear that he's preaching in the next town, they're not happy, they go down and run him out of that town. So Paul has to kind of leave under cover of darkness. And so because he left in a hurry, he still had some things to say. And so he writes them this letter. This letter is the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians starts out like this. Paul, Silas, and who? Timothy. They're all there together. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Now, you know, let me tell you what I think Timothy's job was. Timothy was young. How many of you remember being young? Yeah, he was young. His legs were young. How many of you remember having young legs? When you could just run and you didn't get tired. You know, they will walk, not grow weary. They will run, not get tired. And so... They didn't have the internet. They didn't even have the Pony Express. You know what they had? They had Timothy. Paul says, Timothy, take this letter that I've written and run it back up to Thessalonica. And be careful. There's bad people out there. There's bad characters out there. And don't run into any bad characters. You need to get going. You go fast. Timothy was a herald. A herald. You know, this came into the... This came into the preaching lingo that a herald of the gospel, he carried the good news. Blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. And that's where that came from. And Timothy carried this letter. He's young. You're not going to catch him. Now, if it had been me running, well, it wouldn't have been me running, you know. Maybe when I was 20 or 30 or maybe even 40. But somebody just told me, once you hit 45, man, it's all downhill. Well, downhill sounds good, but have you ever tried to run downhill when you're past 45? Your head gets going faster than your feet, and it's not a pretty sight. So that's what Timothy did. Timothy's running this letter back up to them. And so Paul says, our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but with power. There, there were some great things that happened with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. I'm sure when Jason heard that part, severe suffering, he said, I remember the severe suffering when I was pulled out by the hair of my head in the street and beat up for the gospel. Paul said, you... Even then, you accepted this message. You didn't throw in the towel. It got too hard. People didn't like you. They didn't like your posts. They didn't say, this is good. I really, I really like your lingo. You're not offensive. You don't use the word Jesus. You're not bringing up the Bible. Oh, that's what we like. Oh, to be hated by the culture and be loved by God. You can't have both. Well, you can't have both. You can't be loved by both. So, Paul writes in chapter 2, We had previously suffered and been treated with outrageously in Philippi, but yet we still shared the gospel everywhere. Chapter 2, verse 17. Brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you, this is when Paul was sent down to Athens, 
For a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. Now let me say something here. Paul is seeing here that when there's trouble, when there's trouble, it's a satanic attack. You know what happens when there's trouble in your life, in your marriage? You know what happens when, uh, when some obstacle comes your way, whether it's at your job or in any part of your life? Satan will try to weasel his way in there. So let's say you're having trouble in your marriage. You're having trouble in your marriage. I mean, it's just a disagreement. It's just, uh, you know, you're upset with each other and you let the sun go down, you know, and, uh, and you're not happy. And then, you know, that, that continues over a week or two weeks or three weeks and you're not talking to each other. You know, the devil's going to try to work his way in there. And men, he's going to try to distract your eyes. He's going to try to move your eyes over here. And somebody else, he's going to try to move somebody else in there to be somebody you can talk to, you know. Can't talk to your wife, so just talk to me. And ladies, the same thing happens to you. You know, I need someone who's going to understand me and appreciate me. And, and so the devil will make, cause these thoughts to come into your head and you'll entertain them. And my overall point is here, anytime there's trouble in your life, Satan will try to weasel his way in there. That's what Paul was seeing here. He says, I, I'm afraid this is going to happen to you guys. So uh, he has a spiritual strategy. He wants to make sure that doesn't happen. And here's his strategy, chapter 3. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. So we sent who? Timothy. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you. Timothy's young. He just joined the team not too long ago. He's a young guy. He's doing the... Gopher stuff, you know, the runner stuff. He's, he's doing the little jobs, quietly, faithfully serving. Paul said, you know what, I think you're ready for a bigger job. You want a bigger job? Do the little job well. Do it quietly. Do it on time. Do it when you say you're going to do it. Do everything the way you say you're going to do it. And you know what's going to happen there? You're going to build up this thing called trust trust. And whoever's over you is going to say, you know what, you're doing good. You're good in little things. I'm going to give you bigger things. Trust. Timothy, at a young age, was trusted by Paul. He was trusted for a greater assignment. You might say, well, I am being useful to the Lord. I am. I think the Lord has something greater for you, though. So, what did Paul see in Timothy? He saw three things, really that he'd like to see in you. He saw that Timothy was a hard worker. He was an an effective encourager. And he was also a joyful intercessor. Let me tell you what I mean. First, hard worker. Look at the chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Because we loved you so much, this is 1 Thessalonians still, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. How many of you know and remember what Paul did on the side? Anybody remember? He made tents, literally. And today we use that term tent maker to refer to someone who preaches the gospel, but also has, a, has a, what some people call a real job. That's not funny to me, you know. I have a real job. But I am blessed to be able to do this, you know, pretty much full time. Paul had to earn a living and then preach the gospel in the evenings. 
or on days when he wasn't working. And if Paul was working, guess who else was working? Silas was working. Timothy was working. Luke was probably working. The whole team was working. Everybody was working. When everybody does their part, the team does better. But if you got somebody who's laying back, somebody who's lazy, somebody who doesn't want to work, are you happy with that person? Not at all. Do you think you could be rewarded with a greater assignment if you're lazy, if you don't want to work? Absolutely not. Now, while I say that, maybe that might happen in our culture today in some place. You could do nothing and squander and just kind of be an idiot on your team and still get a promotion. But it shouldn't work that way, should it? No. And, and so I think Paul sees this in Timothy. Paul's a hard worker. He commended hard work. I mean, Romans 16, he's talking about people who are hard work. Colossians 4.13, speaking about Epaphras, he said, I vouch for him that he is working hard. And he, he commands it. He says, you, I love this verse right here. You should really underline and highlight this verse in your Bible. Uh, Mike, this is good stuff right here. You got a neighbor? Got a neighbor? Anybody got neighbors? This might be a verse for your neighbor. You should mind your own business. And work with your hands. Isn't that a great verse? Maybe that wouldn't be your evangelistic tactic, starting with. But it might be a verse for you. It might be for you. You should mind your own business and work with your hands. We read this morning in the focus verse, Luke let us in, do the work. He, he not only commended it and commanded it, he modeled it. Paul says, we worked hard, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. I worked harder, 2 Corinthians 11, 23. I've worked much harder. If you're going to be on Paul's team, you're going to work hard. Timothy was a hard worker. He was also an effective encourager. In other words, he, he, he didn't bring people down. He didn't just uh, you know, go up and kind of say, oh yeah, this is bad, isn't it? He encouraged people. Listen to what he said in 1 Thessalonians 3. We already read this once. He said, we sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. Verse 5, he says, I didn't want the tempter to pull you away. So in other words, Paul knew that Timothy was the kind of guy who could build people up. He could build people up in the faith. And not tear them down. You know, that's a gift. I don't know if you're like me, but I tend to see the bad before I see the good. And let me tell you, if you're a husband, this will get you in trouble. You, you with me? Mark, you know what I mean, right? If you see the dust before you see the clean, it's, it's, it doesn't bode well for you. We need to change our way of thinking, and we need to see the good. I think this was Timothy. I think that's why he was a good encourager. He took what was already good, maybe it was just a tiny thing, and he, he maximized that. He accentuated that. He said, this, let's start here. Let's start here. I know there's bad guys. I know there's trouble. I know there's persecution. We have something better. Let's start here. Let's encourage one another and build each other up. Lastly, he was also a joyful intercessor. Now, a lot of times when we use the word intercessor, we're talking about prayer. And that's a good way to think of it. It's going between man and God. Jesus is our intercessor. He's the one that goes between. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that the Holy Spirit delivers our prayers to the throne room. So we have an intercessor. I'm kind of talking about that message kind of thing. Timothy was the messenger, 
between the Thessalonians and Paul. So what could Timothy have come back with? He could have come back and said, Paul, man, there's a lot of trouble up there. It's scary. Those, those Jewish people are running us out of town left and right. I'm afraid to go back. That's not what Timothy said. Listen to what Timothy said. What Paul says he said. Chapter 3. But Timothy has just now come. Now what's happened here is Timothy went, he stayed up there a little while to encourage and strengthen them, and then he's coming back, and Paul's in the middle of writing this letter. But Timothy has just now come to us from you, and he has brought bad news about your faith. Now what it says? That's not what it says. What's it say? Good news. Blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. And love, he has told us that you've always, you always have pleasant memories of us. I mean, Paul brought trouble everywhere he went. There was trouble. Jason was like, yeah, I remember sweet times with Paul as I was being drugged out to the street. Pleasant memories that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For, I love this line. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Now we really live. So Timothy's coming back with good news. And instead of Paul being like, oh my goodness, are they going to hold fast? Are, they going to, are we going to have a church in Thessalonica? Timothy says, don't worry about it, Paul. They're doing great. They're standing firm. There's not a lot of them, not yet. But those that are there, they're holding fast. It's good news. Paul says, ah, oh, now we really live because of the news. You know, I've, I've been in ministry a long time. I've done a lot of weddings, a lot of weddings. Uh, and, you know, we can say what we want to about weddings. Some are memorable, some are not. But when I meet someone later, I've, been, I've done so many weddings, I don't even remember all the weddings, and I'll meet someone every now and then and say, yeah, you married us. I'm like, yeah. When did that happen? Oh, 20 years ago. Oh, great. Great. And here's what I want to know. Just one question. How's it going? Still, still going strong? And when I hear, no, sadly, we threw in the towel and he went his way, I went my way. I'm like, oh, I hate to hear that. But when I hear, yeah, going on 20 years. Standing strong. We got our problems, but we're standing strong. I'm like, oh, I feel like I've done something good. I feel like I've done something good. Or I'll run into somebody, they'll say, yeah, you baptized me when I was a kid or when I was a student. I don't remember that. Yeah, you did. Well, how's it going now? I really live when they're doing well. You understand what I mean? John wrote a book, maybe Second John, I think, when he said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my who? My children are walking in the truth. I tell you, that gives a parent joy, doesn't it? Those of you with grown kids, it gives you so much joy. When you raise your kids in the church, and they go off on their own, and they do their own thing, and they still walk with the Lord. You know, statistics tell us, by the year 2050, and you might help me with this number, John, 30 million young people are, will have walked away from the faith by the year 2050. That's not so far off now. 
According to trends, you know, we always say seven, seven out of ten young people who are active in the church today will give up their faith when they're hit with hard issues out there in the university or out there in the world. How can we feel good about that as a church? We can't. We can't feel good about that. Wouldn't it feel good if we sent kids out and they came back and they said, we're standing strong. We've started a new church. You know, some of us went to Colorado this week, took the student ministers, Luke and Philip, and we got a plan. We're putting together a plan to make Gateway that kind of church where young people can not just know what they believe, but why they believe it. So when they go out in the world and they get hear this opposition, this persecution, they can stand up proudly and say, I hear what you're saying, but I don't just believe this. I believe it for this reason. And that's what we want. That's what we want kids to be able to do. Parents, wouldn't you like that? Wouldn't you like to know that this is a place where kids aren't just getting foo-foo stories, but they're getting some meat, they're getting something good that'll hold them solid when they go out there in the world? That's what we're going to try to do. That's what we're working on. And I hope, I hope you'll support that. We, we want to do it because we don't want to lose one. We don't want to lose one to Satan, to the devil. But I can tell you, uh, I've been here 20-some years, and I know a lot of families whose kids are still in church, but I know a lot more whose kids are who knows where today. When I say in church, I'm not saying coming to church makes you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. What I'm saying is they're still active in their faith. They're active in their faith. And that's what we want. You know, when I was uh, preaching down in Mercer County 24 years ago, Jennifer and I had just built a road to a piece of property we were getting ready to build a house on. And it was on my dad's property. We were going to build a house up there. And in the middle of that, I had gone to a, a, a seminar called uh, Helping Small Towns Survive. My local Ruritan club, you know what Ruritan is, had sent me there. So I had kind of settled in that I'm in this struggling small town and I'm going to help it survive. And I'm at these, preaching at two churches, both of them around 50 or 60 people. And I was preaching, doing the circuit. I would preach at 10 o'clock here, jump in my car and ride up there. And they'd be waiting on me at 11 o'clock. And I'd leave the singing and then do the preaching. Then in the evening, I would start there at 6 and drive down here at 7. One time I was driving uh, up there after the 10 o'clock service. And this guy was in my lane on a two-lane road right through Kellysville. And he was in my lane. He was in my lane. I'm like, what in the heck's going on here? And when we passed each other, I was in his lane and he was in my lane going about 55 miles an hour. I never stopped. He never stopped. We kept on going. One of those things that happened, you know, I had people waiting on me to lead the songs. I had to get there. And so uh, when Glenn Templeton got down off his mower, how many of you know that name, Glenn Templeton? Yeah, I never thought I'd have a day in a gateway church where somebody didn't know Glenn Templeton. But this is awesome. Glenn Templeton was an elder of the church for many, many years. Long faithful, wasn't he, Sharon? And he got off his mower and he called me up and he said, hey, we're looking for a preacher. And I said, well, you know, we just built this road and uh, I'm kind of settled in. My wife's a school teacher and we're doing okay and we're not really looking to leave. He said, you're exactly who we're looking for. We're looking for somebody who's going to get somewhere and not look to leave. 
I said, well, okay, I'll come visit you. And, uh, and then that was the end of the story. And I asked my friend Dan Webb, who's a preacher even today at Midway Church in Bluefield. I said, Dan, is, I'm kind of torn here. I'm doing a good work. I'm doing a good work. Why would, I, why would I give up a good work? And he said, yeah, Dave, you are doing a good work. But why would you just do a good work when you can do a greater work? There are more people up there. Who knows what God has for you? And, uh, and that, that still rung, rings true for me. And let me tell you something. I'm going to ask you the question. You might be content where you are. You might be happy where you are. But I'm going to ask you, why are you content with just doing the work you're doing, the good work now, when you could have a greater assignment? That's what Timothy did. That's what you can do. Sharing the gospel of Christ with those who need to hear it. God bless Glenn Templeton. God bless Paul. God bless you for saying, I'll go. Whatever you want me to do, Lord, I'll do it. Let's pray. God, may that be our prayer today. May we be trustworthy. May we earn your trust for a greater assignment. Whatever it is we're doing, whatever station we're in, we may just be changing diapers every day. We might be running a factory. God, you have something greater for us. Help us to see it and understand it. And that may not necessarily mean abandoning what we're doing, but seeing how we're doing it for you. and Seeing what kind of an impact it's going to make on the kingdom. Lord, help us to use those eyes. Help us to approach that in that way. Lord, stir in the hearts of young people today. We need young men and women to serve in the church, in ministry. There's a, there's a lack of them. There's, there's fewer and fewer. And God, our culture is telling them that they, they can't do well, that, they, that it's not for them. But Lord, we need people of all walks of life to stand up and say, I want a greater assignment. Give it to me, God. Lord, I pray that this campus would lead the way in that in our church. That's my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and sing this last song of worship with us today? If you need to come pray or need prayer, you want to make a decision for Christ, you come as we sing.